Uh, We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it, and we'll jump in. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word for us tonight. Let's pray before we look at it together, all right? Uh, Father, we do uh, always come to you desperate, needy for your help, needy for your spirit's uh, enlightening power in our life. And so would you be gracious? Would you be merciful? Would you teach us? Press this text deeper into our heart and deeper into our lives, and that would be our prayer. Pray, um, Pray that you would speak to me and through me and despite me. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've said every single week in the Sermon on the Mount that this is Jesus' description of what happens when a community of people submit to him as their king in every area of their life. And so the area of our lives that Jesus begins to zoom in on now is money, specifically greed and materialism, which if you were to define those, I would just say greed and materialism Those are inordinate desires uh, and an an inflated dependence upon money and possessions. Now, I know, uh, I'm well aware, I'm speaking to a room of college students. College students that think that they're poor. So how in the world, notice I said think, notice how, how in the world would a passage like this and a sermon like this at all be relevant or remotely helpful for you? Well, I think uh, of all the demographics that need to hear this text, I think college students are probably the most, the the, the highest demographic that needs to hear this, for reasons we'll explain here in a second. So hopefully this is extremely relevant, extremely helpful for you as you begin to wrestle with and think about these things. So in light of that, let me just set this up by saying we're just going to look at two things tonight. Two points, very simple. First is this. We're going to look at the destructive power of greed. And then secondly, the liberating power of grace. Two points. Very simple. Destructive power of greed, liberating power of grace. First, let's look at the destructive power of greed. Now, Jesus in this text is warning us that greed does have destructive, damaging effects in our lives. This is not like a neutral thing. And what he does is he shows us that it's destructive in two ways. It deceives us and it enslaves us. Let me show you where I get these from just one at a time. First, how does greed deceive us? Well, it does so by promising security, by promising you security. This is why if you treasure money, you think that it gives you some control in your life. If something bad happens, a crisis happens, this provides you with security, this provides you with safety. This is why for some of you who are in dating relationships, your parents do not want you to get married 
until you graduate, or at least for some of you, until you graduate from grad school. Because they think if you have money, then you're going to be safe, you're going to be in control, you'll be secure. That's what money promises you. It promises you safety, security, and control. And Jesus looks and he says, those are false lies. Those those are lies. Money is lying to you. It cannot possibly live up to those promises of control, safety, and security. Here's where I get this from. This is, look at verse 19. His whole point is, if you treasure something earthly, it's foolish. So here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, if you treasure something earthly, that means it's fragile to moths eating it, and it's susceptible to somebody taking it. In other words, uh, everything that you own is deteriorating right now. Or somebody can take it from you. So if you want to you take your life savings, uh, invest it in the stock market. That seems to be a safe option for you to put your money these days. Or take your life savings, invest it in the real estate market. That's a lucrative market these days. I mean, really, the economic collapse, the economic crash in our country... Is really just proving Jesus' point. Money cannot promise you the security, the safety, and the control that you think it does. It will be gone, it will just evaporate from your hands if you treasure it. So, uh, and actually, I think Jesus is using pretty common sense here. He says, if you bank your life on something that's fragile, that can perish, it, it's, it's actually pretty foolish. If something as small as a moth, can take away the thing that you love and treasure, you're loving and treasuring something foolishly. Think about it. In 10 years, 10 years, everything that you own will either be in a thrift store or in a garbage dump. Nearly everything you own. In 10 years, will either be in a thrift store or in a garbage dump. And if it doesn't, if you somehow make it through this life, make it through the next 10 years, and actually have stuff... When you die, you can't take it with you. There's no U-Hauls in the afterlife. So this is Jesus' point. If you bank on, if you're, if you're treasuring, investing your life in something here on earth, it's a fool's errand. So think about, let me put a little bit more um, texture on this for you. If the thing that you really treasure is being in style, having the latest whatever cool clothes... You realize in five years, I mean, you know in five years, skinny jeans and shaggy hair is going to look stupid, right? I mean, some of you think it looks stupid now, but in five years, you're going to look back at the pictures that you're taking with Instagram and cringe at what you're wearing. You know, if if you, uh, you know, dresses and cowboy boots will look stupid in five years, I promise you. So if you invest... I think it's cool now. It's cool. (laughs) If you invest your heart, the meaning of your life, if you wrap up your identity in being on the cutting edge of what is cool, you're going to spend all your money on that, Jesus says it's just going to go away in five years. Or if it's not style and popularity and looking cool for you, if for you it's uh, the way that you, the, the thing that you treasure is being on the cutting edge of technology, having the latest technological gadgets. I mean, you, you know what this is like. You buy the latest iPhone, later that day they come out with a new one, right? I mean, it's like it's, you can't keep up. 
If you, if you, uh, you really want that awesome, perfect car, it's going to break down on you at some point. You want that perfect dream house with two and a half kids and a white picket fence? It's going to get termites and it's going to fall apart. His whole point is very simple. If you, there's nothing secure. There's nothing permanent on earth. So to tie your heart to it is a fool's errand. John D. Rockefeller, uh, he was a incredibly wealthy oil tycoon in the late 1800s. At one point, he was the richest man in America. And somebody asked him, uh, they asked him this, "What what was the one thing you wish that you knew before you got started making your millions and millions of millions? What's the one thing that you wish you knew? Here's his answer. I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Here's someone who has bought into the lies of greed. If I have money and if I have a lot of it, I'll have happiness, security, safety. And he gets it and he realizes all those promises are empty. That's how greed deceives you. It promises you these things that it cannot live up to. But it doesn't just deceive us in the way that it promises us things that it can't live up to. It also deceives us in that it blinds us to it. It blinds us from thinking that we're greedy. This is uh, Jesus' whole point with verse 22 and 23. Let me read it again because it's kind of weird. He says this, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, here's what he means. There's light in this room, and by your eyes, you're taking in that light so that you can navigate where the chairs are and where this stuff is and so you don't trip and fall. But if your eyes are bad and you can't see, even though the room is full of light, your body is still in darkness, as it were. His, his point is there's no other body part to take in the light and to navigate the room. You say, okay, <laughs> So, But remember the context. Here's what Jesus is talking about. If you zoom out, everything he's talking about is greed and materialism. So what he's doing here is he is saying greed blinds you. Greed has the power to blind you. It distorts the way that you see things. A great, um, a great illustration of this is the Avett Brothers song, um, Ill With Want. If you've heard the song, it's, it's an amazingly honest song about their struggle, their wrestling with their own greed. Here's a couple lines from it. They say this. I am sick with wanting, and it's evil how it's got me. And every day is worse than the one before. The more I have, the more I think I'm almost where I need to be, if only I could get a little more. That last line is brilliant. The more I have, the more I think I'm almost where I need to be if only I could get a little more. Because here's what they're saying. They're saying greed tells you this. You need just a little bit more. And then you get it and you think, okay, I need a little bit more. And it doesn't feel greedy because it's just a little bit more. But that's what greed is. It's kind of like that old Seinfeld episode. You remember Seinfeld? George 
without going on to the background stories of these characters, George is in this relationship and he's frustrated and he says to Jerry, is it so selfish that there are just some things in my life that are just about me? And Jerry goes, actually, that's the definition of selfishness. (laughs) And that's kind of what Jesus is saying here as well. If you say, well, I just want a little bit more. Is that so greedy that I want just a little bit more? Jesus is saying, that's kind of what greed is. It's just, it's just you saying, um, I want a little bit more, but it blinds you into seeing itself. It blinds you into you thinking that you're greedy because you, you think, I'm just gonna, I just want a little bit more. No one thinks they're greedy. You know, I, I've been here for four years. Really, I, I've worked with App State students for six years. And I've had tons of students over these past few years come to me to want uh, pastoral counseling about sexual addiction and uh, romance issues and uh, uh, drugs and alcohol addiction. Nobody has ever come to me to talk about the sin of their greed. Because none of y'all think you're greedy. And here's why this is so relevant for college students and why you need to hear this probably more than anybody else. Because here's how greed is deceiving you. First, you think, I'm poor. I don't have money. I'm eating ramen noodles and Kit Kats for dinner. I'm poor. So you think that you're poor, therefore you're not greedy. And then to reinforce the lie that you're not greedy, you, you picture somebody in your life, maybe it's somebody from your sorority or your fraternity, or maybe a friend that has lots of money, that's come from a lot of money, they come from wealth. Or maybe you picture a family member who has a huge extravagant house. They take the big kind of fancy vacations. And you think, well, I'm not like them. I'm not, I'm not that like obsessed with money like them. And because you compare yourself to them and you think you're poor, you think you're not greedy. And that is greed blinding you. Greed affects the poor just as much as, as it affects the rich. It affects college students just as much as it affects CEOs. So if you're sitting here thinking, I I don't need this text. I don't need what Jesus has to say here. This is not really relevant to my life. You're in a dangerous spot. So let me ask you this question. Are you willing to ask yourself and to analyze your life and to ask yourself these questions? Do I need to spend this much money on clothes? Do I need to spend this much money on shoes? On coffee? On my car? On my apartment? Are you willing to ask yourself those questions? Do you ever think to yourself, how can I give away more money? How can, I, how can I find more money so I can just give more away? How can I cut into my budget so that I'm being more generous? If you don't ask those questions, or if you don't want to ask those questions, and you hear those questions and you think, I'm just going to pretend Matt didn't say that, that's you being willfully blind. Turning the other, you know, looking the other way. I don't want to deal with this. That's called self-deception. And that's what greed does. And it's destructive. Because it lies to you and tells you you're not greedy when you are. Me too. That's the first way that greed is destructive. It it, it deceives us, but secondly, it enslaves us. Look at verse 21. 
Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, to the Jewish way of thinking, the heart was not like the organ that pumped blood. The, the heart was the core of your personality. It was your psychological and spiritual center of gravity. In other words, it, it was your identity. So when you talk about the heart, you're talking about your identity. And what Jesus is saying here is that your identity is wrapped up in whatever it is that you treasure. It's not that you are what you eat. You are what you want. Your identity is wrapped up in what you treasure. Mumford and Sons, 2011 or whenever that album came out, basically just translated what Jesus says here with their line, where you invest your love, there invest, you invest your life. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. In other words, what Mumford and Sons are saying, what Jesus is saying, same thing. Whatever controls your heart controls your life. You're a slave to something. This is what Jesus' point is in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. His assumption is that you're serving at least one master, and you can't serve any but one master. This is what Bob Dylan said when he said, you've got to serve somebody. You can't not serve something. And whatever it is that you serve, you're controlled by it. Becky, uh, Becky Pippert was a theologian, author. Here's what she says. This is a brilliant, brilliant quote. She says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. That's what Jesus is saying. Where you invest your love, there you invest your life. Whatever controls your heart controls your life. Therefore, if the thing that you treasure, the thing that you bank on, the thing that you look to for security, happiness, status, meaning, is money, you are a slave. You're controlled by money. You'll do anything you can to get it. You'll cut corners to get it. I mean, think about this. Uh, here's what this looks like in your life. You choose a major that's going to guarantee you a career that's going to make you a ton of money. If that's your thought process for why I chose this major so that I can go into this career, you realize money is controlling your life. Money is the thing that is enslaving you to make these decisions while you're here in college and to live the rest of your life. You're not free like you think you are. You're a slave. You don't own money. It owns you. Here's another way that this looks. Where if you, if you so have to have money as the thing that is the treasure of your heart, uh, you will cheat the cash register at work. You'll falsely report your tips. Uh, you will work yourself into the ground. You will trample over people to get ahead. You will throw other people under the bus. This is, what, this is what the love of money is doing. It's controlling you and you are its slave. You don't possess it. It possesses you. That's what Jesus is saying. This is destructive. If you serve it, you are its slave. So this is Jesus' whole point. Greed is wildly destructive. It deceives you. It lies to you. It enslaves you. So here's the question then. Okay, how do we break this power? How do we break the power of greed that you may not even think that you have? Well, the way that we break its power 
is that we have to begin to understand and then tap into the liberating power of grace. That's the way to do it. So look at verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's what he's literally saying in the literal Greek language. He is saying, do not treasure earthly treasures, but treasure heavenly treasure. Now, when he uses that word treasure, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I think of pirates. And I think of a pirate's, like, stockpile of gold and, like, rubies and pearls and stuff. And when you think about treasure in those terms, nobody sits around and waits for the treasure to come to them. They're like, you know, you pull out maps and you're searching for clues and you're, go, you're aggressively hunting after that which you treasure. And then when you get it, you protect it and you hoard it and you don't want anybody to get it. Because what, because what you treasure is what you supremely value. It's what you most delight in. And everybody in this room has something that you treasure. You have something that you supremely delight in that you find the most value, the most significance from. Every one of us, you know, let's get Harry Potter real quick. If every one of us were to look into the mirror of Erised, you would see something behind you. You would see something around you. Remember this? The mirror kind of shows you whatever it is that you most deeply desire. Everybody has something that you most deeply desire. For some of you, maybe it is money. So if you were to look into that mirror, you would see the treasure chest, you know, the gold coins and all that stuff. For some of you, it's not money. For some of you, it's romance. You look to romance and say, if I get that, I'll have status, I'll have meaning, I'll have purpose. For some of you, it's popularity. Some of you, it's control, power. Whatever it is, Jesus is saying, if you treasure earthly treasure, in some ways, uh, you're totally susceptible to heartache and to failure, and that's the life that you live. So, if you want to avoid that, you have to treasure heavenly treasure. Treasuring heavenly treasure is what liberates you from the destructive power of greed. In other words, what he's basically saying, he's talking about himself. When you begin to treasure Jesus above everything else, that's what liberates you from the destructive power of greed. So then here's the question. How do you begin to treasure Jesus? Because you can't just make your heart treasure something. Like, look at Jesus and say, okay, heart. Love that supremely above all things. So how do you do that? Well, the way that you do that is you begin to focus your attention and your mind on why Jesus is valuable and how beautiful he actually is. So how do you do that? Well, you have to begin by thinking about what Jesus did with his treasure. The Bible says and the Bible claims that Jesus is God, second person of the Trinity, And so from all eternity, he enjoyed a direct, intimate, connected relationship with God in heaven. And at one point in time, he decides to liquidate all of his heavenly treasure and leave and come to earth and to be born into poverty. He's born in a a barn. He's born in a, a, a cattle trough. He leaves 
the riches of heaven, liquidates his heavenly treasure to come and to be born into poverty, and he's raised and he lives as a basically as a peasant. When he's an adult, at one point in his ministry, some guy comes up to him and says, Jesus, you seem really cool. I think I got a lot to learn from you. I would love to follow you. And Jesus says, I want you to know, I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. Foxes have holes. They know where to sleep. Other people, other animals know, have places to lay their heads. But I'm homeless. You sure you want to follow me? You sure you want to sleep in a cardboard box with me tonight? He is a homeless peasant, literally going from riches to rags. And of course, he doesn't just liquidate his heavenly treasure. He doesn't just give up his status, his position in heaven. He gives up his very life. And so on the cross, he is being stripped naked of not only every possession that he has and dies completely penniless, completely naked, but he's stripped of his very life as well. Now, why? Why would Jesus go from that glory, unlimited supply of treasure in heaven to that? Hold that thought and let's talk about finding Nemo. Finding Nemo, you remember the movie? It's about this dad named Marlin who's a clownfish. And he's got a son named Nemo. And he's repeatedly told his son Nemo, do not swim in the open sea. Because Nemo is a reflection of you and me, he disobeys. And he swims into the open sea and he gets abducted by this boat. And you remember he kind of gets whisked far away and ends up in a, uh, a fish tank in a dentist office in Sydney. Now, Marlin leaves his home to go get him, to go get his son. And so he's traveling enormous distances, runs into uh, Dory, you know, the Ellen DeGeneres fish, brilliant, brilliant character, runs into Dory, and they're traveling enormous distances together. They're facing sharks, jellyfish, dangers all throughout the way. They're going to any length to go get his son back, which of course they do. Now why do I tell you that story? Well, the point is is that when you love something so dearly, you will go to any length to get it back. You will go to any length. You will risk it all. You will sacrifice whatever you have in order to get or to protect what you love the most. And if that's what Jesus did, who gave it all away and didn't just risk his life, but actually gave his life for us, then that tells you the thing that he most supremely treasures is you. The thing that he most supremely treasures is you. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, is talking about Jesus going to, facing the cross, facing the horror of the cross. And, they, and the way that it's written is it says that there was a joy that was held out before him. In other words, Jesus is looking down the barrel of a brutal execution, and there's joy waiting for him on the other side. He's going to get something as a result. Now think about this. What could he possibly want, or what could he possibly get that he doesn't already have? He's the king of the universe. He has everything. What's the one thing he doesn't have? It's you. And so he was willing to give it all up in order to get you. Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 7, 
Both of these passages talk about God's people as God's treasured possession. More treasured, more valuable to him than gold, rubies, pearls. And therefore, he was willing to go to any length, liquidate it all in order to get you. We're going to sing here in just a second that great hymn, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And here's a line I want to highlight before we sing it. It says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Because you are so loved, he's willing to give it all. You are the wretch that he treasures. So, how does this liberate you from greed? Here's how. It's when you begin to see and to taste and to soak and marinate in his grace for you. Because what I'm telling you, this is the story of grace. God's saying, I'm coming after you. I'm going to give it all up for you. He doesn't say, here's some religious hoops I want you to jump through, and if you do it, then maybe we can talk. If you're a good person... Uh, You give away your money, you're a generous person, then maybe we can have a relationship. (laughs) The Bible looks at you and says you are greedy, miserly, stingy, you hoard your money, you clutch your money. And you are so loved and treasured that he would come after you, even in light of the wretch that you and I are. When you begin to see that, experience that, taste that kind of grace... That's what melts your hearts. That's what moves you from the inside out so that your white-knuckled gripping of your money begins to release. And money doesn't offer you the control that it used to because you have safety and security in him. Money doesn't offer you the joy and the happiness that it used to because your joy and your happiness is is set in him. And therefore, if money is no longer your God and no longer your savior, you're free to give it away. You don't need it. In the same way that you needed it before. Don't you see how grace is what liberates you? It frees you from the slavery, the deception of it. It frees you. So here's the question for you that I want to leave you with. Are you free or are you a slave? What is it that you trust in? What is it that is your treasure that you most ultimately delight in? If it's not Jesus... You're a slave. But Jesus is offering freedom to slaves that have betrayed him, that have walked away from him. So that's the question I want to leave you with. What is it that you treasure? Let me pray. Father, would you change these hard hearts of ours and liberate us from our love of money, our love of material possessions, our love of stuff, and would you release our hearts grip on these things. Enable us to give it all away in the same way that you have given it all away for us. Melt us, move us by your grace. That is our only hope, and that's our only prayer. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.